you may be seated. Well, how many of you would like to be in my place having to follow all that? <laughs> I was sitting there, I'm like, man, I'm going to be such a letdown when I get up there, you know. Uh, how many of you, this is your first time you've encountered our guest from Nepal? Yeah. I said, I told him, I said, there'll be a lot of people out there that's never met you before. And so thank the Lord you've been able to meet him. You know why uh, their family is so special to us as a church family and the partnership we have with them. And uh, man, I tell you, it's, it's just amazing to see what God is doing there. Well, this morning, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1. I could not have come up with a better illustration of this sermon than what you've already heard this morning. It is one of the things that, uh, as God was laying this on my heart and the direction the sermon would take, and of course, the text led itself itself uh, to where we are today, and then the fact that they're able to be guests of ours this morning, uh, they're here, you got to hear all that, it, it's just amazing how God coordinates things. But today I want to talk with you about Joyride. Choose joy in serving. If you look at the series introduction there in your outline, joy is the unshakable assurance that God is in control of all the details of our lives. The confidence that ultimately we can trust God in everything that comes into our life and the determined purpose to praise Him in all things, in all things. Now, I want you to think about that. Have we not heard Almost all that already this morning in the illustration that we have. Now, when you think about our church here, Pleasant City Church, our mission statement as a church, you know it, has three parts, love God, connect with others, and reach the world. How do we choose to reach the world? Through ministry, and that involves a lot of local things that happen right here on our campus, but not only that, as a mission we, as we've already heard this morning, we we're told to go and make disciples. And, and you can see in one facet of how we attempt to do that as a church, as you've already heard here this morning. So the thing that we need to understand as it relates to the text of what we're going to be looking at this morning, this all takes place while serving by relying on the Holy Spirit to guide us, by reaching beyond our limitations, living above our circumstances while finding joy in serving Jesus. That's really what it looks like when it comes to choose joy in the midst of suffering. Because there's going to be times where it's going to be difficult to serve. There's going to be times where we'll be ridiculed for what we believe, what we say, how we act, how we go about serving the Lord. So look at the introduction. A follower of Jesus must learn to live above their circumstances, Just demonstrating to the world that the hope within them is greater than any circumstance they may face. Demonstrating this provides an impactful platform for ministry and mission. Now, I want you to think about that word platform. It's a very important word. It's one that the Holy Spirit uses in your life to demonstrate who Christ is in the life of another. And so, therefore, we have a platform. That should be our goal in life. If we're here, we're a true follower of Jesus Christ, our goal is to make him known. Later, we're going to see in this sermon, to magnify his name, to magnify who he is. Then we must think of our lives as building a platform of ministry into the lives of other people. Now, how do we do this? Well, we connect with others in our journey. 
I want you to think about this. Your life, you may have never thought of it this way, is a journey. You're on a journey. And you literally are. Christ started the journey. He's going to finish the journey. We saw that several weeks ago. But the point is, we need to connect with others. Now, some of you would say, well, I'm just not comfortable connecting with others. Well, guess what? You literally, if you think about it from the text, you've been commanded to connect with others. You've been commanded to build relationships into the lives of other people. And so we see not only connecting with others, but they also, you need to let them in close enough that they may observe your life while living different than the world. That is where the hope comes from. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And that's what the Bible's trying to say. When people get close enough that we have this ministry platform that we're living out the precepts of God's word, and yet we're living in a world that's contrary to that, and they see a different way, that speaks volumes. That is your platform of ministry and mission. Then they begin to see something different in your life. The way you respond to difficulty, the peace you have in the midst of trials, your perspective is different than the world's. You have joy. In, in, at times, they could never imagine having joy. But you got to get close enough to people for that to take place. You've got to connect. You've got to build a platform of ministry into the lives of those. And as a result, you will have influence in their life. And so you're building that. You're building credibility towards that platform of ministry, creating the ability to speak into their life about the source of your strength, your perspective, your peace, and your joy. And let me just say this. Years ago, when, when, I, when I had a secular job and I was working and and, 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 and I'll be honest with you, I'm not bragging when I say this. It was just a work that God was doing in my life. I can't tell you how many people, when times got tough in their life, they were literally, and listen, it wasn't that they were drawn to me. They were drawn to what they saw in me. They were drawn to what the Holy Spirit of God was doing in my life. And as a result, they would come to me. And, and, and God, at that moment, I started becoming aware of what a ministry platform is, what a mission platform is. Me just living out life, living out the precepts of God's Word in such a way that it contrasts with everything that they see in the world. And it causes curiosity. It causes them to have hope in something that they're not finding in this world. For many people, and here's what we need to understand, this is the gravity that we have in our lives, is the fact that the only Jesus people may see in your life, the only people that are in your life that may see Jesus may see it through your life. I want you to think about that. You represent him. You represent him, and it's very important. Now, here's where I want to look at this. Paul, the apostle Paul, modeled this. And so look at, on your outline. First of all, we see Paul's deliverance. Paul was confident of his deliverance. His circumstances of imprisonment did not lessen his faith in God. Look at Philippians 1.19. He says, for I know this will turn out for my deliverance. The word know there is from the Greek word oida, which means this is a knowledge that's more than just head knowledge. It means experiential knowledge. It means Paul has seen it before. 
It means he knows that God is going to come through. And later, we're going to read that he knows God's going to come through, but he doesn't care how God comes through. He just wants to continue to magnify him, to be used to magnify him in his life. And so Paul's like, it's almost like he's sitting there, and he's anticipating, and he can't wait to see how this is going to turn out. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm sitting in prison, I'm not sure my thoughts are going there. You know what I'm saying? He's sitting there, and, and literally the terminology is, I can't wait to see how God's going to turn this thing out. Now think about that. Paul knew of his deliverance because of several things. And we're going to see it right here in the text. First of all, the prayers of those who supported him. In Philippians 1.19, for I know this will turn out for my deliverance. How? Through your prayers. There, here's what Paul knew. Paul knew that there were people praying for him. As he expanded, as he expands his platform of ministry and mission throughout the world, he knew, based on the prayers of other people, that God was getting ready to do something great through this venture of his life. As pastors, we deal with situations most weeks, situations that have really no human answers. There's times, and, and, and I remember as a young pastor, I, I thought I had to have all the answers. How many of you ever been in a position where you thought you had all, all the answers? Now, you as parents, how many of you had children, even as young as four, ask you questions? You had no idea what the answer was. Makes you feel pretty foolish and stupid, doesn't it? <laughs> but the fact is, as pastors, we have people coming all the time talking about the circumstances they're in. The circumstances they find themselves under. And they wonder why. And they wonder how. And they wonder all these different things. But the thing that we need to understand is that Paul was counting on people to pray for him as he built this ministry platform of mission, of ministry in the lives of other people. And your pastors, our friends from Nepal, they need that type of prayer. They need us praying for them that that ministry we continue. Next, Paul also believed in the provision of the Holy Spirit that he, he would deliver him. Verse uh, 19 again, for I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the supply or provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to think about what this supply is, this provision. It's, it can mean many things, but one thing we know that it means is what the Bible says that it means. And that the Holy Spirit of God, that is the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God brings divine power for what is needed. The Bible literally says that at the moment when it is necessary, when it is needed, when you have that ministry platform and mission out there, that the Holy Spirit of God will give you the words to say. Many of you have told me that you've encountered that before. There's times in counseling situations. I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I don't think it's when it, ooh, I think it's just what the Holy Spirit does. I'll be sitting there, and someone will be sharing with me, and all of a sudden I'm talking about something and, and trying to meet the need of that person, and all of a sudden it's like something is just literally dropped into my mind, and I speak it. And lo and behold, many times that's when people say, you know something? That right there spoke to me. And I'm just here to tell you, as a vessel of Jesus Christ who attempts to yield to the Holy Spirit that I may be used as a platform of ministry, I'm going to tell you, that will freak you out sometimes. There's times I'm like, where did that come from? Man, <laughs> it happens here on Sunday mornings. 
There's times, and, and you know what I've noticed about how God works and the Spirit of God works in people? There's times where I'll have people email, and I've told you this before. They'll email me and they say, hey, last week in that sermon, when you said this, 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 and this, God spoke to me in such a way that it was the most powerful moment I've had in a long time. And you know something? I'm looking at those words. I'm sitting there thinking, I never said any of that. That was the Spirit of God speaking in their life. And then there's times where he'll put something on my heart, and I'll share it, and, and, and lo and behold, that is the very thing that God spoke to you about. It's not in my notes. It's not what I studied this past week. It's just how God works. And let me just say this. It's not just a pastor who has that ability. God will use anyone who will yield themselves to build platforms and influence into the life of other people god will give you that so many times we think well i'm not equipped so many times we think well i, I can't do it as good as this person no the bible says it'll be there when you need it the spirit of god will god will teach will convict will will do all these things in our lives if we just do what he's called us to do to build that ministry platform in the lives of other people. So here's what's interesting. Jesus said, I must go that the comforter may come. Now, who was the comforter? It was the Holy Spirit of God. I've got to go that he may come. When he came on the scene, he changed everything. The Holy Spirit at Pentecost changed everything. It went from the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. Where the, the, the wording that you find in the Old Testament is the Spirit of God came upon them to the fact that the New Covenant, by the work of what Jesus Christ did, the Spirit of God now indwells us. That is powerful. More powerful than you could ever imagine. Next, we see Paul's determination. And first of all, we see his expectation. Look at verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. That, that, that phrase, in nothing I shall be ashamed, that I, I've read it from two different points of view. It, it literally could mean I regret nothing that I've done up to this point, or it could mean I will not be embarrassed by those things that have happened in my life. And Paul's basically saying, those things back there, yeah, they're there. That's how I wound up in the situation I am. I don't regret any of that. I'm not embarrassed by that. But notice this really not about the things that are back there as much as about those things he anticipates. The word expectation literally means to look forward. It also means looking forward to what is to come. So Paul was saying he looked forward to seeing, as I said before, how this was going to turn out. I can't wait to see how it turns out. You've been given a tough health report. Some of you are living that now. Some of you have dealt with it before. And all of a sudden, there's some of you, and, and, and your first thought is probably not, I can't wait to see what God's going to do with this. Is it? That's not where we typically go. But that's the type of stuff Paul's talking about here. No matter what comes into our life, it's that expectation that God is going to do something in it and through it. And, and that's, what, that's, that's literally what he's talking about. He looked beyond his present condition. He looked beyond his certain, uh, the, the current circumstances. What did he look to? He looked towards the hope. And our hope is found in Jesus Christ. Not only do we see Paul's expectation, but his concentration. 
Verse 20 again, the second part. But with all boldness as always, so now also Christ. The word always in this context means, uh, in the context we find it, that no matter what he faced, he remained focused on Christ, desiring to do what God desired him to do. Meaning that when Paul faced difficulty, his focus, his concentration reached beyond the difficulty to the purposes God had for his life. Now think about that. No matter what we face, God has a purpose in those things. Next, we see his magnification. No matter what Paul was going through, the driving force in his life was what we find at the end of verse 20, that God will be magnified in his body, whether by life or by death. Now, it's amazing how these verses, once he starts talking about these things, he leads you to a place of life or death. And really, that's where all of life comes down, for, down to, life or death. And so God the Father desires that we, that we let his son, Jesus Christ, be magnified in our lives. We know that. That's part of, uh, of our salvation and, and the motivation of our salvation is that we would magnify the name of Jesus. We magnify who he is. And so what does it mean to magnify in this context? It means to exalt it means to glorify. It literally means to make him large. To make him large. The reason we have a hard time making him large through our life is because he's not large in our life. Let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. And I've fallen into that category myself at times. But the times that we desire... For him to be magnified through our lives. That we're making him large before those we encounter. That is that moment in which he uses us mightily in the lives of other people. The psalmist wrote this in Psalm 34.3. He says, oh magnify the Lord how? With me. Let us exalt his name together. So how can we as mortals magnify Jesus? First of all, it's the idea, and I've shared this with you before, of the telescope. Now, the, the, the stars, when you think about it, are much bigger than the telescope. Yet the telescope magnifies the stars and literally brings them closer. We are called to be a telescope. Now, how many of you ever thought of yourself that way? You're a telescope. Your goal is to bring what appears to be far to those who are lost up close to encounter Jesus Christ. That is the goal. That's what you're about. That's what you're still here for. So God desires to be magnified in you. And the question we must ask ourselves, are you bringing those around you closer to Jesus? Or are you pushing them away further? Secondly, we're not only called to be a telescope, we're called to be a microscope. Think about that. To many people, Jesus is little. He is. He's just little. He's, he's maybe a footnote to history. Maybe he's just uh, what many people have said, a great teacher, and they leave it at that. Or maybe they say he's a great philosopher, and they leave it at that. 
But nobody, and, and here's what I want you to understand. To many people, Jesus is little because they found no hope in, a, in him as of yet. But God wants to use us, his children, to make him large. Paul was basically saying in the context of what he says here in verse 20, if Jesus will be magnified bigger with me living, then let me live. But if he's going to be magnified bigger with me dying, let me die. Where do you hear words like that in the world today? Right here in God's word. And Paul, we know he lived that. Paul's devotion can be described in three words. And what's amazing is these three words here, I believe, describe our guests from the Paul this morning. And you can see it yourself. First of all, we see a word called powerful. And it's the idea of being faithful. What does he say in verse 21? For me to live, for, me, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What does this mean? It means Jesus was both his reason for living and his resource for living. Now, I want to ask you a question. For you to live, fill in the blank. What's your passion? To be grandma. To be granddaddy, that's my favorite title. I like the long titles. I've told you that before with my grandchildren. And, and, and that's kind of, for me to live is to make money. For me to live is to have power and influence. For me to live, and the list goes on and on and on. But what does it come down to? Think about, finish it. For me to live is this, and to die is what? What will come of it in my death? What happens with it? Think about it. Life is what we are alive to. It's what you're passionate about. It's what brings you joy. That's where true power and passion comes from. Galatians 2.20, Paul even wrote this. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life in which I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's basically saying, I died to self a long time ago. Everything I hope you're seeing right now is because I'm allowing Christ to live through me, that he be magnified. Next, we see a word profitable, meaning fruitful. Paul in prison is in prison, but confident that his work will continue. Philippians 1, 22, but if I live on in the flesh, this means fruit from, from my labor, yet what shall I choose, I cannot tell. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, we believe it's the last letter he probably wrote, Paul was back in prison, this is a different imprisonment, and he literally says, where he says, my deliverance is coming, he says, my departure is at hand. Now, where he's in prison, he'll live. He'll continue to be fruitful in ministry. But this second imprisonment, he knows he's going to die as a result of, the, of what was going on in his life. And we see this. And he sees this. But he wasn't discouraged. He was encouraged because he believed that the work would continue. Hey, here's what I told you several weeks ago. A God-sized vision, 
This is what you need to understand. And that's, that's really what we see God doing here at Pleasant City Church. A God-sized vision, something that we believe God has poured into our hearts. We believe this vision started in the 1970s. I gave you the history of this several weeks ago and, and what happened in the 70s. It continued into the 80s. It became into the 90s. And now, for the last 20 years, we've been heavily pursuing what we believe God's called us to do. And as a result, just like our friends from Nepal, we're starting to see the fruit of of all the seed and all the sacrifices and all the things that people did here. We're seeing the fruit of God bringing together his church, all generations, which is something I'm so tickled about here at our church. And God continues to be fruitful using us through ministry. Next, not only we see Paul's devotion in these other words, but also a third word, perplexing. Far better is the word we're going to look at. Paul deposited his life in the things of God. Paul saw his death as gain because he had investments on the other side of his present world. But Paul had a dilemma. And I don't know about you, but this, is, this verse is amazing. Verse 23. He says, for I'm hard pressed between the two. He said, like, I don't know which one I'd prefer almost. But then he says this. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ which is far better. You know, you know, I could live on, he's going to tell us this in a moment, and be very beneficial to the work of the kingdom and, th and, and through what I can pour into you guys. But I'm telling you, I'm leaning more towards being with Jesus. Now, that, that's an amazing thought there, isn't it? Amazing thought. How can Paul talk about death like this? Notice Paul in verse 23 does not say, I have a desire to die and, and, and maybe... To even be beheaded. He, he's not sitting there in that way. No, no, he uses his words carefully. He says to depart. The word depart is an interesting word. It literally means to pull in the anchor and set sail for another port. And that was the life after this life for him. That's the way he saw his death. Pretty cool, isn't it? Next, Paul had a love for people that he was willing. Here's what he was saying in this, to postpone heaven. Let me just tell you something about heaven and, and, and what we find with Paul. Paul gave testimony one time that he went to the third heaven. Most people believe that was actually the throne room of God. He caught a glimpse of heaven. That's the reason he could look at his death the way he could. But, but what's really interesting about the words he's choosing here, he's basically saying, I can postpone that if God wants me to. But boy, I have a longing <laughs> to be there. But he was willing to do that. Look at verse 24. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh, postponing heaven and being with Jesus is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. That your rejoicing for me may be abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. So Paul, what's he saying? I'm willing to postpone heaven. But it doesn't end there. We find in another location in the book of Romans that he also wrote that he was willing to, be, to perish to hell on behalf of those, he literally says, his, his brothers, his, his countrymen. He's willing to die and go to hell that they may go to heaven. I don't know about you. I'm not sure I love anybody that much. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my grandchildren. That's a tough one. 
I'd like to think I'd do that for them. Paul's saying, I'm willing to do it for strangers. I just want to see God move in the life of people. That's all that matters to me. That's all that matters. He was willing to do that. Romans 9. For I could wish that I myself were accursed. That means perished to hell from Christ for my brethren. Wow. The bottom line is this for us. Do we see the hope beyond our circumstances? The only way that we can see hope beyond our circumstances is to see the purposes behind the circumstances. And let me just say this. I'm going to be fair to this. A lot of times we don't know the purpose behind the circumstance. I can't tell you how many people who, who basically say, I know God would not allow this in my life if there wasn't a purpose behind it. But right now, I don't know the purpose. Can I be reassuring of something for you? If you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, there is a purpose behind what you're encountering. There's a purpose. You may not know it. I may not know it. But there's a purpose. And it's there. So Paul's circumstances and adversity led him to evaluate his life to find out what was truly important. So here's the application. What are you living for? <laughs> Your passion for who or to what? Paul said, for me to live is what? Secondly, what cause or who are you willing to die for? I mean, think about that. For me to die is blank. I'm not sure many of you have pondered, pondered this question before. I never pondered it until I came across this first years ago. What am I really, now that's something I want to leave you with this week. What am I really willing to die for? What, 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 what would that be? Would it be for family? That's admirable. Would it be for Christ? Man, that's the answer. But why? And then this. No circumstance, no matter how severe, could steal Paul's joy. Nothing could diminish his enthusiasm for the ministry because he knew his suffering was not in vain. It was all about building a ministry platform, mission platform in his life to connect with others and to reach them for the cause of Christ. That salvation may be theirs. Would you bow with me? Father, we just come to you right now, and Lord, I thank you for the way that you've moved in my heart here today, and through working with this sermon this past week, oh man, it's so convicting. But Father, I just pray for each one of us in this room to contemplate what it real, truly means to live. What, what, what will we truly die for? And Father, I just pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit has worked in our lives in such a way that it's apparent that, that you desire something greater than what we're settling for. So many of us in this room are settling for far less than what you desire. We're trying to find everything that's based in this world to bring joy into our lives. But Lord, time and time again, those things fail us. True joy, we find in your word, can only be found in relationship with Jesus. But not just a relationship in Jesus, fulfilling the purposes Jesus gave us to go, to connect with others, to build a ministry platform into the lives of others, that they may come to salvation. Father, you desire so much more for us. Father, I just pray 
you'll reveal what all that may be in our own lives. Father, we thank you for what you desire to do here this morning. Would your heads bow and your eyes closed? Where are you today? Where are you? We heard our friends from Nepal come up here, and I don't know. Their passion, their zeal, man, it challenges me. It challenges me. I hope it's challenged you. And the Lord could not have given us a better illustration to what this sermon looks like than through the ministry we heard there in Nepal. Isn't it cool how God orchestrates all this and puts it all together? My prayer for you is that this whole gathering has been a challenge for you to be aware that you are to magnify Jesus. To be the telescope that that draws things closer to Christ. To to be the, the, the microscope that makes Jesus, for those who think of him small, to to make him large. That you'll walk out of here today saying, there is something, there's a higher calling on my life. Father, I pray that you'll grant that in Jesus' name. Amen.